Welcome back to another episode of your favorite Washington Huskies football podcast. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. You know what time it is. Pod. 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 I don't know how many times we're going to play that before I don't laugh at it. <laughs> Will that be the measure? Is like once you stop laughing, we'll, yeah. we'll stop playing it. Do we need a new? Do we need a new intro at that point? Yeah. Once you stop laughing, once you stop laughing, it we'll, we'll have to we'll have to refigure it. <laughs> how long did that take you? Hopefully not too long. No, like five minutes. I mean, <laughs> I guess it took me a little longer to find the actual audio and then to. To, to try and I looked I listened to three or four different versions to find one where the the something something's a little less understandable like there's a little bit of plausible deniability in the curses yeah but then I didn't want to do too much because I didn't want to go the Tyrone Willingham route that's true yeah the you don't bad mamma jamas yeah you don't want to be promoting the mamma jamas <laughs> I don't know how much plausible deniability there is for someone who wrote it like a 3000 word story about the uh, the origins of it 2 years ago but it, there's a bad word in there. It is. The actually as someone uh <laughs> a columnist at the Seattle Times once wrote it was the worst thing you could say and I'm like that's actually not true. Yeah, no. Like no, no there's no. a lot of things like I, I'm going to I'm going to go with, like, there's at least two dozen things that you could say that are way worse than that word. Mm-hmm. Where do you come down on the uh, the the Elon versus our publishing platform battle, by the way? We, so, were, just, we were discussing beforehand, like, you know, what we were going to go over today. And I th- this totally slipped my mind during that discussion. But I, I just remembered, like, that's a thing now. So I think I'm about done with Twitter. Um I'm not sure on that, but it's it's getting it it's getting really close. I think that Twitter was a very fun thing and like very professionally useful and is a tool that I've used quite a bit. Um I think what Twitter has become and this was even before Elon took it over uh was something different. Like I I think that the the phrase now everybody uses is the platform. The platform's changed over the past five years. And I'm not sure how much benefit I was getting from it professionally, certainly over the last two years. Um, there's some people on there that I've made friends on Twitter and like there is a little community of people that I like communicating with. Um, but yeah, for people that don't know, Substack is launching. Uh, it's It's a version of Twitter. I mean, it's a, Substack has significantly fewer users, but it's going to be a sh- for a, a a way to post shorter content. And Elon responded by then like basically kind of deprioritizing or not circulating any posts with links to Substack in it. Um, yeah, he made it so any link that has the word Substack in it cannot be liked or retweeted. Or I, th- I think it can be quote tweeted, but like my stuff is fine because I, I ha- bought the domain on Motlake.com and connected everything. So like, 
I think if you have a a special domain, a, a custom domain, it, it it circumvents that. But the whole idea of Twitter and the reason Twitter worked the way it did was because it was wide open and because there were no walls. And the moment that you start trying to sort of create it as and treat it as a business in and of itself, I think you were going to run into, I think whoever did that was going to run into problems. And look, like from a, strictly speaking, like I make no money off of Twitter. I will never make any money off of Twitter. And I think attempts for people who do post there to make money off of it is a flawed approach. Um, And if Elon's decision is, well, you can't, promote things that I define as a competitor to Twitter on there. I'm like, well, why am I, why am I making content for your, for your platform then? Yeah. Um, I, I used to fantasize about not being on Twitter Mm -hmm. and now it's more important to me than it's literally ever been in my life because I, it's how I sell subscriptions. It's how I get my work out there. It's how I promote my site. Um, and you know, Substack shows you all those things. Like it shows you referrals. It shows you how people get to your site. It shows you how you know where your your free signups and your paid signups are coming from. And like several hundred of them have come from Twitter so far. So I definitely like I would I joked with people when I launched on Montlake. Like, boy, I'm like I'm sure glad that the you know the the reports of Twitter's demise were were premature because I like it's it's kind of a necessary, well, not kind of, it is, it's a necessary evil for me right now. And I always, I always thought it was a necessary evil just because, you know, you can't be doing our job and not be on Twitter. You just can't. Right. Like, especially when, when I worked at the athletic, it would, that would not have been acceptable to just say like, I'm going to write my story. Now I, I tried to tweet as little as I could just because I, I hate looking at it. I think it's bad for you. You know, like the one thing like I kind of roll my eyes sometimes when Chris Peterson would go on his like anti-social media rants. But the one thing that I think he absolutely like nailed on the head was like every time he's like every time I open it and scroll through it, I just get a bad feeling. Like I just feel bad. I just get it like a bad feeling in my gut. Like I don't like this. And I I think that's kind of what Twitter has turned into, you know, especially the for you tab. Do you ever click on the for you tab? That is a the for you tab is a a lawless hellscape of just stuff that's not for me personally. I don't think they're getting it right. So the for you tab started relatively recently, right? Like within the last year. I think so. I don't I don't pay close enough attention to really. For know. a long time, I didn't realize I was on the for you tab instead of the following tab, and I was like, why am I seeing stuff from people I don't follow? And then I figured out what it was. It didn't really bother me that much. Like I think everything you you just said is true. I I don't I don't think Twitter makes people happier. I I think that, and I also think that it has been an important tool in certainly in the speed of communication of news. It's changed the business of sports journalism. The only the internet. And then Twitter, like those would be the two biggest changes in sports journalism that I've seen um, in 25 years that I've worked. I've, I've worked in it. And of the two of those, I would say that Twitter has had the more demonstrably negative effect on the actual content, like the actual work that 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 sports journalists do. But it's 
it's kind of like complaining about the weather because your complaints aren't going to do anything about it to change. But I, I do feel that a year or a year and a half from now, it's, it's going to be significantly different. Um, and one of the questions I have is what is going to happen to the people who have become at the forefront of the sports journalism industry in large part because of Twitter, what's going to happen to Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski and rap sheet and the other different groups, uh, Shams, like what, what, what is going to happen? And to a lesser extent, there are some college football insiders that are like that. None of them that are as positioned um, in the same way, part because the industry works different. Uh, college football works different than the NFL. But I, I think that I think that skill set is about to become significantly less valuable. Yeah, I, I got to think that that stuff will wind up somewhere, though. Just because if I mean, how many followers does Adam Schefter have? How many millions of people? You know, like how many like likes and retweets that in the thousands immediately happen every time he tweets something and you throw all your shams and all those people in that same category. But like, I think we've talked about this before too. What I've always, what is the value to ESPN and what is the value to the athletic of a person who breaks news on Twitter primarily? Well, okay. Those are other than you can then put them on TV and now everybody knows who they are. That's what's valuable. Schefter's a great example of this. Adam Schefter was, for a long time, a beat reporter. He covered the Broncos for the Denver Post. About the time that I started covering the Seahawks, and the first year I covered the Seahawks was for the Seattle PI in 2005. That was right when the NFL Network was starting. And Schefter went to work for the NFL Network at that point. And at that point, his job shifted where he was still doing some writing, but it started to become... It was kind of the next iteration of the John Clayton insider, only he was very spoke focused on transactions. And and that has morphed into this full-time job of just being a couple minutes ahead on transaction news is an incredibly lucrative thing now. The reason it's lucrative is not because of the, the money that ESPN makes by employing Schefter. Like that they, they don't make any money from Twitter. And Schefter doesn't get paid by his followers. But the fact that Schefter is so prominent on Twitter makes him valuable to put on TV. It's very it's a very strange dynamic because Schefter Schefter doesn't really write. Like he has a couple news stories that he'll write each week, but the the bulk of his notoriety comes from that he's the person that finally wrote and said the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers there's an impasse between them. And then it became a whole news cycle for four or five months. Like he has stories that he broke the Russell Wilson trade. He's not very good on TV either. Like he's not particularly charismatic. And if you listen to him, it 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 sounds as if he is trying to win a bet of how many can who can use the worst the most amount of words to say the simplest sentence possible. Like it's it is the exact opposite of what clear communication is supposed to be. Like, it's just it's kind of like what I'm doing now. It's inserting a lot of extraneous words that are completely unnecessary to convey the point. But he's valuable on TV because he's so well-known on Twitter. The question of for other people how that works, I'm not sure. I, Your old employer, The Athletic, Shams works there. I'm not sure what the benefit is to the athletic. Is somebody going to buy a subscription to the athletic to get Shams to be able to read his pros? Like, is that 
Because it seems to me that Shams' main value is that he reports things first on Twitter. He definitely drives subscriptions. It's and and what it is is like, you know, the kind of journalism that the athletic wants to be about. It's it's not the quick transactional stuff, but like, you know, like the whole Jimmy Butler saga is a great example. Like he's plugged in enough that he'll get insider details from, you know, what happened at practice or whatever when when that all went down. And so like the athletic can be first with that kind of thing. And so I like I know he's had a number of you know, a number of stories that sold really like I, you know, he obviously like adds tremendous value for them in, in certain ways. I'm just like, I've I've always been fascinated by the Twitter race with transactional stuff in, in all sports, in reporting in all sports and just thinking like, man, like the day's got to come when companies realize you're not getting anything out of that. You know, like I hate, I hate breaking news on Twitter and partially because it's just kind of nerve wracking, you know? And like the, you know, right. So Ryan Grubb, um, interviewing at Alabama and then deciding to stay at Washington and, you know, every, everybody kind of got that news in, in the same general like time frame, local and national media. And if you can know that you're right and you're not going to report it, if you don't know that you're right, and in this case, the, the 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 bone of contention was, was he offered the job or not, right? And every Alabama fan just wants to, doesn't want to believe that this candidate was offered a job and said no. And so they just decide that's not true and yell at you about it. See, that's funny because my my inclination is to do the exact opposite which is to make fun of the people who make fun of the idea that it's true like i i really i don't feel i don't feel it's if you want to get mad about something that i'm reporting like feel free to unfollow like i i don't it that really it doesn't bother me if someone thinks it's not true um but i'll argue with them about it What's puzzling, here's the part that's most puzzling to me about the way the news cycle currently works, is we we currently are able to communicate the, the, the news that is happening at a speed that is absolutely unprecedented, in which the, the news, uh, in a single day, a story can change seven, eight, nine times our understanding of what's happening, whether... Uh, Rudy Gobert punches Kyle Anderson. He gets sent off to the side. We don't know what happened. It looks like Rudy Gobert just punched him. Then it comes out a little bit later that like, oh, you can actually read the lips and see that Kyle Anderson calls him a bitch and then he hits him. And and then and then you find out actually, okay, Rudy Gobert is not with the team anymore. And then now he's been suspended. Like it used to be that was a full four or five day process of untangling all that thread that's happening in a matter of hours. If you combine that with the indignance that people get of like, I'm going to hold on to a previous version of this story or not reconsider, like I know everything I need to know about that. It makes it just hilarious because people are constantly using and working with a different amount of information, yet our, their default, especially on Twitter, is to yell at someone. It just cracks me up. Yeah. I mean, the headline here is I'm too soft. I think that's what that's the that's the problem. I don't think that's true because my I skin can, has I never can, been thinner. I 
Uh, but I could get that of like all these Alabama fans. College football is different, man. Like I'll say that college football is different. And maybe that's a good way to segue into college football fans and their desire to minimize other conferences and programs is it's it's unlike anything else that I've experienced in covering sports. Like even in the New York media looking down its nose at the the, the West Coast brethren who don't really know what it's like to perform in the Big Apple or something like that doesn't hold a candle to SEC fans feeling that like the Pac-12 and its media network is, is about to go on CW or be available with two tin cans and a string that's there. The amount of time and energy people in those parts of the country spend looking down on other parts and, and programs is unprecedented. I don't think there's a there's anything comparable in other sports. Am I absolutely nuts for thinking that a deal on CW would not be the worst thing? It wouldn't. It's over the air. Yeah. Right? Anybody can get it. Here's the other thing is, you know the reason they might be talking to CW? Cuz it it's possible that Apple or whoever their streaming service they're talking to doesn't really care about CW. And so they're they're less likely to want them to have a partnership with ESPN or something than than they would be an over the air channel. Like I don't think we fully know and this would this would be another. We don't know all of the different things that are going on with the Pac-12 right now. Right? Like there's a fair there's a fair degree of mystery over how these negotiations are progressing. And do we know 1% of it? I don't know. There's no way to even know that. But people want it solved. And here's here my question, my response to that is why? Why is it that there's a feeling this has to be done now? Because it's, that's a win. But it's it's not the upcoming season, right? Like strictly from a fan perspective. I can understand why the schools would want it done now. I can understand why the conference would want it done now. But take those, like, none of these fans that are fixated on it or the fans in the Big 12 who are fixated on it who are just sure that the Pac-12 is going to up and die when, when this new deal is announced. Why do any of them want it done now? Like, there's no, there's no real reason, right, other than that they want an end to this drama and uncertainty. Yet there's this feeling of, like, the fact that nothing's done now speaks so ill. You don't know. I, it could reflect a number of different things. And while I tend to be pessimistic about my own conference's uh, acuity when it comes to, to doing what's best for itself, the, the, the fact that people are so bent out of shape about the timetable of it is amusing to me because I'm like, why do you care? Yeah, it, I think if the the Big 12 stuff were not just so prominent every single day, four corners, four corners, four corners, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, ASU, you know, it, the, the defection is imminent and the Pac-12 is going to disintegrate. Like, that's why. That's why people want it done because, like, every day that passes without a deal because of the PR battle that's being waged quite successfully by the Big 12 uh, – People are, are are afraid that that means one day closer to the, the conference not existing and a deal not getting done. I will say, like, the Pac-12 has brought a lot of this on itself. For you sure. Know, they had presidents speaking publicly about wanting it done 
I mean, didn't like Kirk Schultz told John Wilner back in, you know, months ago that like mid-March was was sort of the the timeline and then, you know, you had they they put out that statement they mm-hmm. about looking forward to consummating and here we are Danny April 11th and there's been no consummation. <laughs> no consummation at all. First of all, First of all, given my life, I want to just say that like waiting an extra two months for consummation is not all that long. <laughs> Maybe that's a little too much information for everyone. <laughs> if only I just had to wait two months. Yeah. Um, uh, but but like they they very much pointed people to this yes. time of year and this time and like if they'd said from the beginning, look we have no competition on the market right now mm-hmm. we're we began negotiations early we're well more than a year out from the start of this contract we're going to take our time relax we're exploring deals with partners who have never done this kind of thing before mm-hmm. who don't move at the pace of ESPN or Fox and, you know they wouldn't have gotten that that granular with the details but they very. They, I think they set an expectation that now you can see they they're they've made a cognizant effort to try to back off of with the media that okay, actually it's going to be a little longer. And like you saw Arizona's president Robert Robbins do a series of interviews. All of a sudden, like uh, that guy can't that guy can't not talk now. He's talking yes. all the time, and and he was one who was like, yeah, like I feel like my colleagues kind of want something done, but I don't mean why don't we wait? You know. What's the problem? Like, I think we can take our time with this. So, like, I don't think that waiting and having this take a couple more months is inherently bad. Like, I, I agree with you, but, like, the conference did sort of set the expectation it was going to be done by now. I do not want in any way to imply that I think the Pac-12 knows what it's doing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to assign those beliefs to you. <laughs> I, I, I don't. And I think that there are numerous steps along the way here that you would stop and point out like this was really stupid the weird statement that they all released about being together was weird and completely unnecessary and now when you look back at it it didn't make much sense when they did it and now it makes even less sense um potential explanations because like we don't know i don't know what's happening but are potential explanations for this. You mentioned one of them. They're in discussions with technology companies, with Apple, with, I, I would assume, with Amazon, potentially with, with Google, which owns YouTube. That, that would be an, op- an, an option that's there. They haven't, those companies haven't done something like this before. So maybe it is. You're working on a different timetable. Another potential is that the numbers that have been discussed so far aren't big enough to satisfy, I would consider, the two main programs that they have to worry about satisfying, that Oregon and Washington aren't ready to sign off on the deal yet because it's not at a, it's not at a number that allows them to believe that will, that will enable them to keep pace with the sort of the programs that they see as pure programs to, to keep in the... In the if not power five sort of discussion level that like, Hey, we're not, we're not going to get lapped by the big 10 here. Another possibility is just that the whole thing, they think that the market, it's going to become more lucrative over the next couple months that 
as they get further out from those other deals getting done, that more more lucrative offers, they're, they're trying to slow play it. Out of all of those, I don't know what I think is the most likely, but the, the, the idea that the money out there just isn't sufficient is one of several potential things. That's, it's not the only explanation, and I'm not certain that it's the most likely explanation. There's, there's a lot of, of potential and unknown, and until it gets done, nobody's really going to know what's happening. Everybody else is just speaking with what their own premonition. Everyone in the Big 12 right now wants the Pac-12 to die. So they're going to say and assume that the Pac-12 is dying, and the lack of an announcement means that the Pac-12, the, the closer, the, with each day that passes, another little bit of daisy gets pushed up because the conference is going to croak. I don't think that that means that that's necessarily true. I don't think with each passing day, it's like, yep, yep, the Big 12 is most definitely, like all the, all the naysayers are, are more likely to be proven correct. Just from like a media, a media watcher perspective, it's going to be fascinating to see how all of the people who have pretended to know what was happening at every step of this act whenever this reaches its resolution, whatever that resolution is, whether it's the Pac-12 getting a deal done, whether it is two schools or more schools leaving for the Big 12 or another conference. I'm I'm fascinated to see like how people uh try to claim that they were right all along regardless of what happens <laughs> kind of like in politics, you know. Like cuz there are people who have been banging the drum one way that like it's done, there's no way they're getting they're not getting any money close to what the Big 12 got, which means that these schools aren't going to sign a grant of rights and the the four corners are going to split off. And so I'm just curious to see, like, well, if they do get a deal done, and it is in the ballpark, or or maybe even more than what the Big 12 is getting, you know, will there be an admission that I was wrong? Or will there be like, well, no, I was right all along, but things changed, which could also be the case. That could, that could be true. So, like, I'm, I'm very interested to just sort of, as somebody who fully admits, like, I'm, I'm not sourced on this topic. I, I don't, you know, I don't have a a mystery donor calling me up telling me that so-and-so is leaving the conference and I, I don't claim to, I'm, I'm interested to see sort of how uh, all of the involved parties play this whenever it does reach its resolution. Well, I just realized that I'm going to need to put together a score scorecard so I can call people to account. <laughs> Do we, are we just counting people who claim to be media or are we counting like the random Twitter accounts? Who... No, no random Twitter accounts. Like I don't care about them, but I do care about the, especially the conference insider. The conference insider is different from a national insider. The conference insider is someone who presides and speaks to the programs in the conference. And I would argue is the biggest homer. Like there is no bigger homer than the conference insider who claims to cover multiple programs from within a certain location um, because they they have such a vested interest in the actual conference that their homerism toward that conference is, is un unprecedented. So I'm going to try and zero in on some of those people to call them into account. Um, I do remember when LeBron, the decision, when LeBron left Cleveland for Miami, when LeBron left Cleveland the first time, and he did it at that special with Jim Gray, it was horrible. One of the most notable things there was that Adrian Wojnarowski, who by that point was, I think he was the most prominent 
NBA reporter. He was working at Yahoo at the time. His reporting in the lead up to that did not point toward Miami at any point. And it was written with the authority that an insider usually does. And then as soon as it comes out, the decision's made. Then there's a behind the scenes from Adrian Wojnarowski about what really happened to go in there. And it's full of all the insider sourcing. And I was like looking at it and I was like, how, how do you reconcile that? Like, how do you square that circle? Like if, if you read your coverage closely, you would come to the conclusion that when LeBron chose to go to Miami that, oh, the guy that I've been reading actually wasn't getting good information or provide, wasn't providing me with an indication about what was going to happen. I had no, I was actually less informed. <laughs> I was more poorly informed by reading his coverage than I would have been if, 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 if I had not. And then afterwards, it's like, here comes the assertive, like, and I don't mean to pick on Adrian here, whom I do know and like, but there is, and then all of a sudden it comes after it, like, well, here's the actual behind the scenes. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, I guess it's possible that all of a sudden he was able to talk to somebody that was in the right position to know, or the story changed and he was able to reflect that. I was like, or... He was just kind of talking out of his ass for a couple months. And he might still be kind of talking out of his ass because that's part of how this whole thing works. And I I just, I like to acknowledge like the moments when the insiders, both butt cheeks are left exposed. And you're like, ha, ah, he showed his ass. I will say like, I, I think one of the more trustworthy people in all of this is, is John Wilner, who is the, you know the the Pac-12, the conference insider you speak of for the the Mercury News. I've never got the sense that he's. Oh, that's actually true. I didn't mean to be taken. I was trying to take shots at people in Texas. Yeah, I've, I wasn't I talking about John. I, I like know, John. I, I know people will hear that and think, mm, well, you know, oh, it was Wilner? No, Wilner and Canzano. I like. No, no. See, I like both of those. I I love them because they're they're in my conference. <laughs> <laughs> those guys are beacons of truth. I will say, like I. Um, of all, of all the people you read and, and opinions you read on this and people claiming to have this source or that source, like I can tell you, man, like if, if there's someone who is, is only writing like what he's hearing from people who would know it, it's John Wilner. Um, and I don't mean to say that like relative to Canzano either. I like, I, yeah. I'm not knocking Canzano in any way. I'm just saying like Wilner has been doing the PAC 12 thing for a long time. You might not agree with his you know, AP top 25 ballot every week or where he puts Washington, the power rankings or whatever. But like that guy's not serving an agenda and he's not making things up. You know, he's one where if he's, if he's telling you that like things are trending optimistic toward a deal or pessimistic toward a deal and it ends up going the other way, like that probably means something changed, you know? And and he's, he's also been, I think straightforward the whole time about how like, you know, like I, I, this is what I'm hearing, and this is where it seems to be trending. But like, keep in mind, you know, presidents make these decisions. You really, you never, you never fully know. None of us really know. So, um, I would, I would exclude him from that. Uh, and I know you were, you didn't. My you broadside, didn't my my painting with a broad brush. I have I, a. I appreciate you you saving me from that. Yeah, I would. You know, I'd hate. I'd hate for you to. To fall in the the pro Wilner, the crosshairs of the pro Wilner crowd. Such I, as it people is. don't don't people generally just complain about him? Yeah, well, 
I, yeah, I, I, but like that's the thing when you when you do cover the whole conference. Yeah, there's 12 teams. Like you're, you know, even if you say something positive about a team, that means that like it's a it's a zero sum game, and the other fans of the other 11 programs think you're sliding them. Yeah, I, I guess here's what I would if I was going to refine my my attack to make sure that it landed on the right people. Everybody that is in the Pac-12, like or covers programs that are in the Pac-12 right now. I believe is more likely to reflect and know and hear what is actually happening as opposed to the people from other who cover programs that are in other conferences or other conferences themselves whose reporting on this is going to reflect what the administrators of the programs and conferences that they cover hope happens as opposed to what will actually happen. And the, uh, and the media consulting firms who are employed Wait, by the conference. Media consulting? What's that? Well, that's... Um, no, I'm being serious. There's are media you consulting. With, are you familiar with Endeavor? The William Morris? William Morris? Like it used to be a talent agency? Like the thing that owns the UFC and the WWE? Yeah. Yeah. So they, that's... that's um, they're, they're working for the Big 12. <laughs> you're no way yeah the big 12 hired an agent i mean endeavor is like this huge monolithic company now that does well here you go there's a press release from september the big 12 conference appoints wme sports and img media to lead global content and commercial strategy so that's wild to me because leaning into the expertise of the broader endeavor network Right. So Endeavor has like these hands in all of these different things. But what they're being hired for there, it sounds like, is to advise them on communication strategy. It would seem. So that means that they are like looking for how to position themselves and like how they want to talk about or have their image presented on a national level that's really weird like i mean it shouldn't surprise me there's a lot of money to be made in or there's a lot of money at stake in how these things comes to be characterized and but that makes me feel more and more what when you're actually the public discussion you're actually hearing is that part of a strategy or is it a re or is it an insight into what is actually going on? Um, because if it's part of a strategy, it kind of makes it make it should make you more skeptical. Because there's a benefit to the Big Twelve for making the Pac-12's negotiations sound like they're going poorly, right? Mm -hmm. And that actually might become like whether you want to call it a self-fulfilling prophecy or not. There's a there's an advantage to the Big Twelve for making it sound like this is that this this is doomed and that with each passing day, it, so, but it, ultimately like that doesn't really matter. I mean, what what matters is how much money the the Pac-12 is being or will be offered in exchange for its its, its media rights. And I'm just not convinced that anything we've heard or seen right now 
I know it's not definitive. I don't I don't feel like I have a firm understanding. I could see it happening both ways. I could see the the delay being a sign of something that's really negative. I could also understand if it's the result of an unprecedented kind of deal with streaming companies. It's true that it it, you know, if the deal gets done then, you know, who cares about the the PR battle, but like TCU put up a better fight against Georgia than the Pac-12 is putting up against the Big 12 on the PR front <laughs> right now. And like, hey, maybe it's all BS and bluster and, you know, uh, misdirection, whatever. But, but like, this is the Big 12. The Big 12 is like taking a knee on the two-yard line to to avoid putting up 70 points. Oh, like, Waz- like, like USC did against Wazoo in the first half of that game. Except that's actually, that's a bad, that's a bad analogy. They're, they're like onside kicking after every touchdown. More like. <laughs> <laughs> four corners they're gonna leave they're gonna leave they're gonna leave um I, I i should say like while we're on the topic of consultancy in college sports speaking of john wilner uh he had a story yesterday and it was reported elsewhere too that, that jamie zaninovich the pac 12s deputy commissioner is leaving the conference and if these three paragraphs don't describe the the current state of college sports and how things are done better than any three paragraphs I've ever read. Wilner's story says, Pactol Deputy Commissioner Jamie Zaninovich is leaving the conference this week after nine years to become managing director at Trail Runner International, a global strategic communications firm. Zaninovich doubles as the Pac-12's chief operating officer and has worked closely with Commissioner George Klyovkov on the media rights negotiations, and here is the key paragraph. Friday will be his final day. However, his first consulting project at Trail Runner will be to advise the Pac-12 on the media negotiations, expansion, and basketball strategy. <laughs> so that's how you do it. You do the job, and then you leave the job to go get paid by somebody else to still do the job and then also get paid to do other jobs. <laughs> it's good work if you can get it. It sounds like he kind of sounds like how Alexander Hamilton made himself in- indispensable. Have you seen yeah, maybe Lin Manuel Miranda will make a musical about <laughs> yeah. Jamie Zaninovich someday? Yeah. Um, that's well, maybe, maybe that is money that will be well spent if, if Jamie has done such a good job like on, on the one hand either he's become so indispensable in that role that they can't afford to let him fully leave or on the other hand the pac-12 is so clueless that even when the guy who was in charge of that is gonna say like yeah i'm getting out of here they're like well you can't leave now <laughs> you, you, you've got to help us find something i don't i don't mean to malign his his professional abilities or anything I, you know maybe it's all have no reason to believe it's not all on the up and up or whatever. It's just like, re- yeah, the, the way that the way that like consulting firms and agencies run college athletics along with TV executives now reading that reading that story in in the current climate and the way that it was framed. It's just like, of course. Oh, where's he going? Oh, a consulting firm where he's still where the his former employer is just going to hire him to do the same thing. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly the 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 evaporation of boundaries in a way that greatly enhances the earning power of the executive. Sounds about right. Should uh, we get to Ian? Yeah. Each week, Ian McFarland joins us because it's worth a conversation. And really, there's a lot of things that are worth a conversation. 
with Ian. Maybe your sales force has been downsized a little bit. Perhaps you've got a product that, well, you'd like to either develop, or maybe grow the customer base for that product. It's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland. IPMcFarland.com. Here's Ian's question for us this week. Danny mentioned his fantasy last week about one of the tech billionaires deciding to start dumping billions into University of Washington Athletics. And I I love the fantasy and we'll, we'll just keep it in the fantasy world. But let's bring that down to a little more tangible number. Let's say a number that if someone hires IP McFarland Company and their revenues explode, they may have like, like $10 million. At $10 million, if the two of you are donors to the University of Washington, what's the best way to spend that money in 2023? Is it putting the the force to behind starting an IGTA program like Clemson has? Is it NIL purely? Is it covering the revenue gap and putting it toward the general fund? It could go a lot of ways and the traditional thinking has changed, but in that large but but tangible number of $10 million, what's the best way to spend it as a donor in 2023? I liked Ian with the mention of the explosive growth that IP McFarland could provide for you. Yes. Uh, I got to think it's NIL uh, because... Just just straight, like, pump that into Montlake Futures? I, I think it's it's call up Montlake Futures and say... I've got this amount of money. Who, who do I need to pay? You know, who's, who are you worried about losing in the portal? Who you don't want to lose? Who could you potentially get in the portal? Who could you get into a conversation with in recruiting that you maybe wouldn't otherwise? And you get into all, would you use it as an inducement? Blah blah blah. Whatever. But set set all that aside. Like the University of Washington, for all of the concerns, rightful concerns about revenue gap relative to their peer conferences um, with regard to the TV deal. And we'll you know, that could become a, a lot bigger issue down the road. They were able to pay Ryan Grubb $2 million mm-hmm. to keep him around. Um, they were able to pay, I mean, they're paying their receivers coach $800,000 a year. They're paying their offensive line coach you know, off the top of my head. Is it 800,000 or 850? It's 800 plus. Okay. They're, they're going to have a top 10 national assistant salary pool. And if Kalen DeBoer came to them tomorrow and was like, give me another million dollars a year or I'm leaving, they would do it. So, like, the coaching salary thing, I mean, shoot, they gave, they gave their director of player personnel a $100,000 raise. Like, the, the coaching salary thing is, is not as big of a concern. I don't think it's nothing. Like, I think Jimmy Lake's buyout still being on the books and having to cover that from department reserves puts a lot more strain on their finances than than people think but like I I don't think you need to dedicate that money to to coaching staff right and they've 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 boosted their recruiting budget we know that they pay I I wrote about this a while ago USA Today had the full breakdown of the Pac-12 they're second in the Pac-12 in recruiting spending in the 22 fiscal year and Kalen DeBoer was only head coach for like seven months of that so I would expect that number to be even higher next year um so like they've they've made they're already able to make a lot of investments in, in football. As a donor, where you could influence things with $10 million outside of the department's direct influence, 
would, would be through NIL. And like, so you think about what do you need to be really successful in college football? You need a great coaching staff. You need to be able to retain them. You need to be able to keep them from, you know, the Texas A&Ms and the Alabamas from coming and getting your offensive coordinator. Well, they did that. What else do you need? You need great players, right? And so anymore, the best way to assure that you're going to have great players is to be able to pay them. So yeah, okay. I think if you got ten million, it you know, there are wor- there'd be worse ways to spend it than saying I'm going to put this toward nil. All right, I'm going to put the screws to you here a little bit because very very fair point, but I want you to differentiate where most of that money is going to go in nil. Is most of it going to go toward bringing in recruits or keeping guys? who are already in the program. And the, the thing that I'll throw on this, that, that last one is that includes early departures to the NFL. Where do you think the money is best spent? Is it in attracting more stars, <laughs> more five stars? Like we need five star reviews or by keeping guys either from transferring or deciding like, I don't know, someone like Roman Dunze who looks at it and is like, yeah, you know what? It's not so bad. I'll take another year. I'll, I'll play another year of, of college football. I think retention mm-hmm. and like I'll step out of the hypothetical a little bit and put some actual like realistic constraints on it relative to the way that I know UW wants to operate. And I think if you t- if you're talking about big NIL money, distributed by Montlake Futures to football players at the University of Washington. Yet you're talking about retention. You're talking about big stars who have proven it on the field getting that kind of money. You're talking about Michael Penix Jr. You're talking about Romo Dunze, whoever else. So, yeah, I would say, and, you know, ideally for any program you get to a point where your your stars are – too good to retain with with NIL money relative to the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also battling this transfer portal too. Yep. Uh, it's usually you're talking about younger guys who maybe, you know, had had one big year and but I I, I don't think Washington is is, you know, even if they had a donor come come through and say like, hey, I got 10 mil for this year's recruiting class. Like, I don't think Kalen DeBoer wants to be putting that kind of dollar figure in front of high school players up front necessarily without the guys on the current roster also getting that, you know, like I think there's some locker room harmony stuff there that 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 coaches are, are going to be mindful of. But, yeah, no, I, I think it would be more about more about retention, at least to start, if you're talking about like an annual investment of $10 million from one person. It's going to be very interesting to see how programs handle that because I, I agree. With you. I think it should be more toward retention. But we're going to see we're going to see schools where you have very high profile recruits who will have fairly public endorsement opportunities. And when they don't perform as well as the guys that are there on the roster, something's going to have to give there because, I mean, I've seen it in the NFL. In the NFL, like you had rookie contracts, like there's there's a lot of different things that go into it. It and restrictions. Like there's a salary cap. In college football, there's none of that. And I there there are a lot of un 
explored ramifications for what's going to happen. Like I wonder with, with Rashada when he didn't get it, if he had gotten that endorsement package at Florida and he, and he goes in there, what would have happened if he's not the starting quarterback? Yeah. Like what, what, what is, if he's not the best player on the team, how is the best player on the team going to feel about the, the compensation package, the, the, the endorsement opportunities that he, that he's not getting it. He's seeing this other guy get, <laughs> there was people probably don't remember him. Chike O'Keefer was a, he was a defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks and he's a pretty good player. And Grant Wistrom, Seattle signed to a contract that was way bigger than anybody thought he was going to get. This is 2004. And it was significantly more than Chike was getting. And Grant Wistrom signed it like every player would, where it's like, get, yeah, I'm going to, take this money that is much $14 million signing bonus that is bigger than anything else that I was getting. And the next year when Chike, after he had outplayed Grant Wistrom that year, became a free agent and Seattle matched and maybe even gave him a little bit better offer. Then he got in Arizona and he left Arizona because he's like, I couldn't stand the fact that that guy was making more than me or more than they offered me after I outplayed him. That's there. There is a, there is a natural element of some of that that's going to happen. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the smart coaches, they'll spend that big money on uh, their starters. Yeah. They're sure starters. All right, my $10 million, I'm going to pull a Larry Scott and go into the media business. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not like Larry Scott. I'm just kidding <laughs> about the Larry Scott part of it. But if you gave me $10 million, I am going to build out uh, social media promotional wing. Like, it's... Pro- it's not going to be in the communications like the the sports information office. It would be a separate, but it is going to be entirely a vehicle for the promotion of this the student athletes that are there. Um, and the the reason I say that is because I think that one of the reasons that Deion Sanders has attracted so much attention is because of what they've done with Barstool Sports. Now, the fact that it's Barstool is a whole separate conversation, but at Jackson State, and I'm sure that we're going to see. He's made his program into content. And I think that being able to do that is something that is going to be very attractive to players and to offer them a platform. Say, here's the things that will work with you. And it, it probably does start to tie into NIL. And, like, can you get guys involved in podcasts or vlogs? TikTok accounts, like those are all things that I would start to develop at the University of Washington if you gave me $10 million. I would try to have, like Netflix has, I don't know if, have you watched either the tennis, I think it's called Breakpoint, or the golf Full Swing? I watched the first two episodes of Full Swing last night, in fact. Did you like it? Yeah. Um, They're they're obviously, they're just trying to, like, they're trying to ride the tails of the the F1 series, right? Yeah, drive to it, succeed. I thought it, it cool that they explain like the very very basics. I didn't I could, like I I didn't necessarily know or think it was going to be that way, but like the fact they're like, yeah, like at a major, it's four rounds, but only half the field gets to play the weekend, and all like I, I was like, oh, okay, so like they're really trying to make this accessible for mm-hmm. people who don't necessarily know a ton about golf. But yeah, I w- w- watched the first two episodes. I'm gonna have hard knocks for Husky football. There you go. I think that would do really well. I think the players would like it. And I think that if you did that as the school, if I get the $10 million and you do that as a school, you can do it in a way 
that features the personalities and promotes the specific players and also cash your program in a very positive light. And I think that that ultimately, the value in that would end up, I, I, I think that's how you start to get, uh, provide a unique offering. You're trying to build up your facilities to be as nice as Oregon. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's how you want to win or that's the right route to go down because I don't, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to outspend Phil Knight. But I think you can develop things that are different than than what he offers. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. There's not. Um, I know there's a there's a couple like content creation companies or that work closely with with certain schools. Wouldn't you be able to get students involved too? Because there's a bunch of there's a bunch of people up there in the communications department or in different like there's students that are going to want to do that as a profession. And whether it's setting up internships, it just seems that there's a lot of ways that you could tap into it. And God knows there's kids up there making TikToks. Yeah. I can't make TikToks, Christian, but I'll bet there's some kids there that can make some TikToks. I bet there are. It, it looks so easy, Danny. And I just know that it would take me way too long. <laughs> too TikToks? Long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it even if it were easy for me because I just, I have no interest. But I've thought about doing a deliberately ironic TikTok. Like me trying to do all the dances in the most horribly, like me giving my most honest effort at some of the most ridiculous things. But then I was like, what's the upside there? Like, what, what am I actually going for? Why, why would it be good to have as, as many people as possible seeing me look like a jackass? Yeah, it, it, it probably wouldn't be. I think would be the answer. I, uh, I have an update to my Cowlitz County road crew story from last week. <laughs> it's it's not an update it's a it's an add-on uh, so I, this goes back to how old were you were you 17 18 i was 19 20 and 21 you're working the, on the, the callitz county summers. road crew yeah um the good jobs on the callitz county road crew to remind you all uh driving in the pilot car like sometimes yes. when there was a there was you got air conditioning there you were out of the sun and you would just drive back and forth across the same stretch of road all day long. That was that was pretty good. Um, the buffer also, car, similar. Yeah. Brooming the, was low stress, low responsibility, but you're walking in the heat, so you know. And pretty then flagging, taxing. Flagging could you know it had its it had its advantages and disadvantages, but you know we, we, the focus on oiling season. Um, my mom, who listens to the podcast, she said. So that, you know, when you were talking about the road crew thing, I thought that you were going to tell him about this other thing, which I thought of after the fact. I was actually having a conversation with somebody uh, earlier, the, earlier uh, last week about this. So um, as happens in a town of Longview size with a newspaper that, that serves that community, you'll get some letters to the editor about the road crew and about the oiling process. And... Uh, Thanks to newspapers.com, I was able to find both of these in very short order. Um, on August August uh, 24th, 2008, there's a letter to the editor that, that caused a bit of a stir in the Longview shop, uh, written by somebody. The, the headline of the letter is, A Huge Waste of Money. This is in the Longview Daily News. Um, somebody who lived in Kelso and... 
says, Driving home last week, I was shocked to see the county road crew laying a new coat of gravel and black tar over the top of our nicely paved roads. I stopped and asked a roadie, a roadie, by the way, I stopped and asked a roadie why they were covering newly paved roads. He said that the county had received a lot of money through the state, and since they hadn't been out in this area for five years, these roads were put on their schedule. After some discussion with him, I realized the possibility exists that the county engineer doesn't inform the road crew when contract paving is done and that the road crew can't distinguish new paving from old. The result of all this is that the tar also coated the residents' vehicles, home interiors, and children's shoes. I repair vehicles for friends and family and have replaced brakes on two vehicles so far, one of which was mine. The brake failures were caused by erosion due to rocks and tar wedged between the rotors and calipers. I consider this to be a huge waste of funds, both for Callitz County and the homeowners. So this this letter gets, you know, it, every every time this happens, and it wasn't like all the time, but every time this happens, like people get into the shop in the morning and be like, did you read the paper today? And kind of have like a laugh about, oh, someone complaining about us. And I thought, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this. So I wrote my own letter to the editor that published six days later, August 30th, 2008, I did not do it under my name. I did it under the name Philip Culebra, um, which I, Culebra is Spanish for snake. And for some reason that was, there was some joke around that in the, in the, um, in the shop. I don't know what it was. Philip was just, there was a guy in the shop named Philip. So I kind of thought it'd be funny if I used one of, you know, one of, one of the first names of the people who worked there. But, uh, this was my letter to the editor written under the name, uh, Philip Culebra. The headline is quote, roadies do a good job. Said this letter is in response to uh, the gentleman's name. I won't say it because it doesn't matter. August 24th, titled A Huge Waste of Money. Perhaps if he were to look past his own apparent transgressions toward the county, he could see that much joy is brought to the hearts of those who are lucky enough to get their roads paved by the Cowlitz County Road Department. Not only do those, quote, roadies, as he so eloquently referred to them, do a fine job, <laughs> they are very polite. And willing, and willing to answer any questions that motorists may have. This includes the foreman. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. This includes the foreman all the way down to the summer help. <laughs> Who often go without water or bathroom breaks for extended periods of time. I often get the urge to bring them flavored beverages and popsicles on some of the warmer days, especially when I consider how much time and energy goes into making our roads look so flawless. Also, the average citizen doesn't understand that the chip sealing process is the best possible way to ensure that the beautiful roads of our county stay crack-free. If you don't like the rocks getting in your shoes, then don't walk on them. Nobody is forcing you. And perhaps the letter writers, friends, should look into getting some new brakes <laughs> if a couple of pieces of gravel is all it takes to render them useless. <laughs> the only money issue here is how little they pay those poor summer help. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they cut that out and, and posted it on the bulletin board in the shop. That's <laughs> really that funny. What's funny, and... You know, as a professional journalist, like part of me feels feels bad about using a fake name to write a letter to the editor, but uh, it was also really funny, and that's I was in hilarious. college, so whatever. Oh God, that's really funny. 
<laughs> flavored beverages. Did you What's, ever get, were any flavored beverages ever provided? Yeah, like there were some people who would, um, this would come out, like if it was hot, there'd be homeowners who would come out and ask like, oh, like, you know, do you need something to drink? Like, you know, bring you like a can of Coke or something. That's it, nice. Not often, but every now and then. And sometimes like, you know, we'd go out and do something that was not on someone's property, but like close enough to their property that it was like a, it was influencing them, you know, and like we, so we'd take care of some problem or something and that they'd be like truly like very appreciative of and, you know, would want to, maybe people would bring like, you know, baked goods or something, or like if they saw the road crew out, like handling a problem that they'd probably been complaining about for a long time, they would, you know, there'd, there'd be some like gifts of food or something. People were mostly pretty pleasant, but, uh, the fellow, the fellow who wrote that letter to the editor, I could not let that aggression stand. <laughs> That's exactly right. Got to set him straight. Uh, I think letters to the editor are one of the like true American arts. Like I, I love the original comment section. Oh, it's fantastic. Like the amount of effort that it takes to go in there and to, to put all of it together. Like I, I love that. I sent that from like a burner email account and you know how they verify the identity of the sender. They just reply to your email and say, hey, we got this letter from this email. Is this you? <laughs> and you just say, yeah. Oh, yep, that's me, <laughs> old Philip Calabra. <laughs> really what you should have said, yes. <laughs> Flippery like a snake. Oh, man. So it's just so, like, it's so immature. It's such a, it's such a, like, petty, immature thing. But I, uh, I got a kick out of it. It's not petty. That was that was a great creative writing prompt. I'm just like who how you can't read that and take it seriously. No. Uh-uh. Like that was like the, the flavored beverages and the I summer the that. emphasis on the summer help. <laughs> Passing motorists. <laughs> Imagining like the real you know, random person opening their paper like what the hell is this? Yeah. Well, well it's it might be the most entertaining thing they read all day. Yeah. It's the most entertaining thing I'm going to read today, probably. Um, well, maybe next week I will give you, I, I will have an example of my favorite. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it might not be a letter to the editor. I am I will have my favorite exchange, like repartee of, of uh, one letter with a response uh, that I've ever come across. Uh, I, I, I will, uh, I'll wait for that with bated breath. I love letters to the editor. Yeah, this one's pretty good. It involves paper airplanes and Until professional then. and and professional football. Enjoy the enjoy the media rights machinations. I can't wait to see what rumors we can we can discuss next <laughs> week. Maybe um, you know, maybe, maybe maybe go to bed tonight dreaming of a Pac-12 championship game airing after Gossip Girl or whatever on can you- on CW. What I'm just imagining, though, is, like, could you imagine a scenario where people were, like, actually rooting, like, yes, media rights deal, we're on ESPN, baby, that's what I'm talking about. Like, how sad is that? Or, like, Tier one. <laughs> you guys are on CW. Like, I, is it on TV? Okay. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so strange to me. Like, if this idea, like, you guys are on a low-rent TV. So? It's it's a weird thing to take pride in. If you have Comcast, you just you hold down the little microphone thing and just say, you know, Utah football, Colorado football. It'll take you right there. You don't even know what channel it is. 
I don't. Yeah. I could not tell you what what the HD channel is for ESPN, Root, Fox Sports One, like Pac twelve. Pac twelve is like six hundred something. I don't even know. Like, I just, yeah, I just speak into the remote and it. it, it, it <laughs> Dude, if I'm not saying this is happening, but if robots were going to take over the world, like that fact that you just mentioned, the the reality that I currently know two phone numbers of how to get in touch with someone if I didn't have access <laughs> to my phone. Like, seriously, I know my wife's cell phone number and I know the home number for my sister's house because it's where my mom used to live. That's it. I could not tell you a single other phone number of people that I would need to get in contact with. So if some scenario happened where my phone was destroyed and my Apple like my Apple ID got obliterated. Like those are the, the only two people I would be able to contact. I know my wife's, I know my parent, both my parents cell numbers. And I know like our old landline growing up. I, I know, I know at least like two or three of my childhood friends, old landlines still because oh, yeah, yeah, to, I've got to memorize those. Yeah. So. And I know my grandma's, my grandma's landline cause it's been the same forever, but that's about, that's about it. Yeah. I'm just saying, be wary, man. The robots, the robots might be, they might be weakening us before the takeover. Yeah. So be comforted by that thought, folks. We'll talk to you next week.